let's just pray for a moment. Jesus, we thank you so much that uh, you came for us, that you came to die. I love all the stories where it shows you relating to people and we can learn so much about you, but really the truth of the gospel is that you came to die on a cross. And through that, we have freedom. Through that, we have redemption of sin and we have life. As you said, life in all its fullness. So I pray for us now as we listen to your word that you would touch each of us right at the point of our deepest need, our longing, our search, God, for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful if you would do that. I want to welcome you today. And this is the fourth week in this series that we've been in. Uh, on Made to Flourish as we've been walking through the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And you're probably wondering, okay, well, Ron, you've been in the first two chapters and you haven't made it out yet. And so just let you know, we're not making it out of the first two chapters yet this week either. Uh, That's not until next week. And I'll tell you more about that as we go through our time together. But the whole idea of this thing about Made to Flourish, it's a vision for us. It's a vision of what God has for us. What God initiated when he created the world, when he created everything that we see and everything that we know, it's the place he wants us to live. It's where he wants us to be, that we can be in relationship with him. So I'm going to invite you right away. Just go ahead and grab your message notes out. We'll just jump right in today. And uh, also open your Bibles to Genesis 1, and uh, that's pretty easy to find, right? First book, so you can go to Genesis 1, and that's where we're going to be today. And the message notes you can use would help a lot. And I just want to say this, if you don't have a Bible, uh, we want to give you one. And so when you leave today, there's a bookshelf right against this wall. And if you'll write out in the lobby, we want to give you a Bible, uh, because we'd love for you to be able to read this in your home. Uh, and uh, be able to uh, digest it and to hold it and to feel it and to be able to then get God's word into your life as well. So right at the um, top of your notes, I give you this idea. I I put it here every week I've spoken, but I want to just remind us today about this idea of flourishing and where it comes from and what it means. So you just go ahead and fill in the blank. You probably already know the blank. It's shalom. Uh, The idea or concept of flourishing is best described by the Hebrew word shalom. And so we've talked about that in the series. What does this word shalom mean? And so if you want to just go to the next one, it means nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. And I'm starting to see more and more people use this phrase, um, whether on their social media uh, or in their prayers that they're writing and they're talking about the, the life that God's called us to, nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. That's the world that God created. That's the world he created, a place of flourishing, a place of shalom. He created the world to be a fabric with everything woven together. If I were to take a bag this morning and maybe a thousand threads, I would throw down, just throw them down on the stage right here, throw down a thousand threads here. They would not make a fabric. It would just be a pile of loose threads laying right here. They'd lay on top of each other, but they wouldn't make a fabric. What makes threads into a fabric is that each thread is then woven together with other threads. And as they are woven together, then they start to make a master, they start to make a fabric. Something like the rug I'm standing on, it's made from just thousands of little threads that have been sewn together to make a fabric. 
And as they're interwoven, these threads, they become more beautiful, they become more strong, they become more warm as they're put together into fabric. And folks, that's the idea of the world that God created. Just that idea. He made this world to be interrelated. He made this world to be interdependent, to be harmonious, to be beautiful. All things knitted together in perfect relationship to each other. All things. When all of God's creation is knitted together into an interdependent, interrelated fabric, then we experience life the way that God made it to be. We flourish. So let's just jump right in this morning. Let's talk about in creation what it means to flourish. You look at this verse from Genesis 1:26. God says this. He says, let us make beings in our, go ahead and circle the word our there, to be like us, circle the word us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So it's a plural that God is talking about here. He's talking about being more than one, and we know that that would be the concept of the Trinity, that we have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit. Three, yet one. One, yet three. And the idea is that God exists as three distinct persons, each with a specific role, not just in creation, but in the world overall, in God's plan. And the reason this is so important is that when it says, let us, plural, let us make human beings in our image, it points out the perfection in relationship. Us, perfection in relationship. God is talking to himself at this point. Plural. God is perfectly in harmony with himself. God is community. Perfect harmony with himself. And as in beings, as in we are made in his image, we too are designed to be in perfect harmony with him, with each other, and with the world. So made in God's image means lots of things that we talked about two weeks ago. Just kind of just list them again here today. It means that I'm moral because God is moral. It means I'm creative because God is creative. It means I'm relational because God is a relational God. It means I'm intelligent because God is intelligent. Not as intelligent, but intelligent because God is that way. It means I'm ascetic. It means I love beauty because God loves beauty. It means I'm spiritual because God is spirit. It means I'm able to reason because God is reasonable and rational. And it means I'm emotional because God has emotions. He loves. He has feelings. Made in his image, when we hear that phrase, it does not mean I'm made in the physical image of God. But I'm in the spiritual image of God, of who God is. Made in his image means that when God makes a human being, that each human being is designed to, two blanks, represent him and reflect him to the world. That each human being is designed to represent him and reflect him to the world. Each and every human being. Just think about this. If I you know, put a big rock up here and I had a candle and I put a candle in front of that rock and the candle's lit, the rock doesn't look like the candle, does it? No, the rock doesn't absorb any of the candle's beauty or its wonder. But if I put a candle in front of a mirror, then what happens? The candle in front of the mirror, it overflows with the light of the candle. It actually reflects that light. It responds to the light of the candle. It reflects the candle's glory. And what God says is he says that human beings are here to reflect and represent his glory to the world. His glory to the world. And one of the main ways we represent him is that we bring him glory. 
we bring him glory. Look at this verse here from Isaiah 43. It says, bring all who claim me as their God, for I've made them for what? My glory. Why are we made? For his glory. It was I who created them. So everything that God created is designed by him, and it's part of his design that we would represent and then reflect him to the world, that we would bring him glory. Now, we can't cause him to be glorious, can we? We can't make God be even more, any more wonderful than he actually is. We can't make him be any more perfect in any way. We can only bring him glory, push glory to him. We can only magnify him, make him look bigger in our own eyes. Look at what it says in Revelation 4. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So God made human beings in his image so that human beings who were made in his image would reflect his glory and represent him in the world. We would be reflectors of him. There are currently over 7 billion reflectors of God on our planet. Reflectors of God. Human beings made in God's image, image of God. So today what I want to do is I just want to paint a picture uh, of what creation and all of its wonder looked like. What did creation all of its wonder look like? What was it as God designed it to be? And just look at it in that way. And so remember, this is a vision. This is a vision of God's design that he's pulling us into that we could embrace it and we would be in it ourselves. But it's also a destination of where he wants to plant us. Now, I just want to let you know, when it comes to especially your homework that's on the middle of the program and you're in your community groups this week, that uh, I gave some direction on the homework in like three or four weeks ago. And, and so it's written around a certain frame that I was told I was going to speak on today. Well, I changed my message flow a little bit. So it still is going to fit. You're going to have a great discussion, but it's not going to fit as well as it could have uh, because something happened to me this week um, that I was doing my work and my preparation and in the very first week of the series, I talked about this idea of relationships. And so I thought, you know, I want to come back to that. I want to come back to the idea of relationship this week. And so I was thinking about uh, the, the phrases I used in that first week. So I Googled those phrases and then, you know, just did some research on where they might have originally come from. Just a thinking, somebody else who might have used those. And it led me to a book. And the book is called When Helping Hurts. When helping hurts. And it's not anyway has nothing to do with my talk today. It's talking about how do we go and help the hurting and help the poor. And how do we do it in a way that actually helps and not hurts. Both the ones who are poor and then the ones who are doing the helping as well. Amazing book. I've read it in, you know, for that context as well now. You know, we actually had this, John had this in his library. So I was able to go get it. And so I'm using the concept of this book today, to next week, and the following week. Three weeks, we're going to look at this idea of relationships. Today, we're going to talk about them in all their wonder. Today's the avatar message, okay? All its wonder. We're going to look at creation as God made it to be. Next week, we're going to say, what the heck happened? And we're going to talk about the fall and what the heck happened. And then the result of that in these relationships. And the following week, we're going to say, here's the promise that God gave us. The promise of redemption and restoration. So that's where we're going to go this week, the next week, and the following week together. So today, 
relationships in perfection. We're going to look at this today as God intended them to be. And the first thing is this. You want to write on your notes. is we flourish when we reflect a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God. Now, this is the primary relationship, and this is the most essential. And so if I was weaving a rug and it required one main thread, one color, uh, and I would make sure that I had plenty of that, maybe it's thicker. And that's what this one is all about, is it's the main relationship that God intended for us to be in, both in the creation, and then he intends for that to be in our lives today as well. All of the relationships flow out of this one. God made us with the capacity to have intimacy with him, the capacity. And one of the reasons God made us was so that we could be perfect in relationship to him. Now, look what it says in Genesis 1.27. In fact, all, this, all these points will come from Genesis 1.27 as we go through this. It says, God created human beings in his own image. So as we just said, we're called to reflect God um, in our world, and we do that through our worship, we do that through our service, we do that through our thoughts, we do it through our actions, uh, we do that through the things we say. We, we do that in caring for others. There's all kinds of ways that we can reflect God to our culture. And when we do this, what happens is we experience God and a joyful relationship to him. So it's a joyful relationship that we're inviting you into, that God invites all of us into to have joy with him. Now, God planted two key truths in these first two chapters of Genesis that I found extremely meaningful to me, extremely meaningful this week, as I was thinking about my relationship with God. And, and I want to share that, and I hope it will be meaningful for you as well. In Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3, this is what scholars call the prologue of Genesis. And in the prologue, Moses, who's the author, describes God creating all that is. Heavens, earth, man, oceans, plants, animals. He created all there is. And then, after Genesis 2-3, Moses stops, and beginning with Genesis 2-4, he tells the creation story again. He does a repeat and tells the creation story again. Now, there are all kinds of theories, and we don't have time for this today, to talk you know, about why Moses told the creation story twice, but just for our time today, I want to hone in and highlight one major distinctive between the two creation stories, the prologue, Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3, and Genesis 2, 4 through the end of Genesis 2. There is one major distinctive between the two creation accounts. See, when we read them, and we read them and look carefully we realize that we are being exposed to two different descriptions of God. Two different aspects of God, two different realities of who God is in his character. The first is represented all through the prologue, beginning in Genesis 1.1. And I put that verse there for you. In the beginning, God. And we've talked about this, I've talked about it for two weeks. This is the third week I've actually talked about it in this series. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want to dig into this just a little bit deeper this morning. The key to this first telling is that every time God is mentioned in Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3, in the prologue, he's called Elohim. 
And every time in the prologue, when Moses refers to God, he calls him Elohim. Now, Elohim, we talked about this. It means, you want to write this down, God is powerful. It means God is powerful. God is mighty. Just God can do all things. There's absolutely nothing that God cannot do. So that's how he's referred to in Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3. Then beginning in Genesis 2-4, in what Moses is going to call the account of the creation or the record of creation, he gives us a completely different name for God. Now notice this. You're going to probably see it as we read it, Genesis 2-4. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Then the, circle this, Lord God. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Wouldn't you have wanted to kind of just think that moment? I think about the resurrection of Jesus, and you just think about Jesus when he had a moment when life came into him, that moment when God breathed and Adam became a human being. So beginning with Genesis 2-4, through the remainder of chapter 2, every time Moses refers to God, he calls him Lord God, Lord God. And Lord God is the Hebrew word Yahweh, Yahweh. And folks, this is intentional. And necessary for us to grasp if we're going to flourish in shalom that God intended. Because Yahweh means, you want to write this down, God is personal. It's the personal name for God. (coughs) The different names for God used by Moses reveal something uniquely meaningful to us. The different names of God teach us how we are to relate to God. They teach us who God is and how we are to relate to him. First, Elohim. Elohim means mighty, powerful, holy. And when we see God as mighty, powerful, and holy, our response is jaw-dropping awe. We almost cower in front of him, not out of fear, but reverence. For who he is when we think about him as being Elohim. But this is a generic name for God. And it basically means God is transcendent. God is above us. God is beyond us. He's holy. He's all powerful. He's Elohim. And for many people, when they look at God that way, they think that God then was unreachable. But there's such depth in the meaning of this name, who God is. In Genesis 1, it says that Elohim spoke. And just because he spoke... The heavens and the earth were created. Elohim spoke and light was created. Elohim spoke and the waters parted. Elohim spoke and plants erupted. Elohim spoke and the plant, the animal life just was already there. He spoke. Elohim is mighty, powerful, and transcendent. And I just want to say, think about this a moment. Do you need Elohim in your life? Do you need a God like that? Do you need this God of strength, awesome power, right, holy in your life? What in your life seems to be out of control that you're going, oh, I just, I can't do anything about this. What in your, what are you seem powerless to change right now? What is you just beaten down in despair? What is creating hopelessness inside of you? What has you cowering in fear? What worries you most? See, folks, the Bible says that your God, your God is Elohim, and he is able to do all things because he has all power and might. 
So how do we relate to God who's Elohim? How do we relate to him? Elohim demands our worship, our honor, our awe, our fear, holy fear, our desire to please him. So that's Elohim. But what about Yahweh? See, Yahweh is not a generic name for God. Yahweh is God's personal name. And it's used in context of God having a personal relationship with people. If you were to see me in a grocery store and you were with a friend and you saw me on another aisle and then you saw me come around the corner and you might look to your friend, you might say something like that and say, hey, that's my pastor. And when you say that, you're using a generic name for me. Hey, that's my pastor. But then if we were to meet in the aisle and come together and you wanted to introduce me, you might say, hey, this is my pastor, Ron. And when you say Ron, what you do at that moment is you make me personal. It's my personal name, Ron. See, Yahweh is God's personal name. And so if you want to refer to God in a way that showed relationship and openness, you would refer to him as Yahweh. Lord God says that God is personally involved in every part of your life. Wants to be in relationship with you. So I should ask, same thing we asked about Elohim. Do you need Yahweh? Do you need a God who's personal? What has you feeling sad or depressed, maybe lonely or alone, desperate? You need the presence of Yahweh God who is personal and relational and caring. Now, the reason this... uh, became so personal for me this week and had so much meaning is um, I reached a, there was a, just a circumstance in my life. Okay, I'll just say it that way. A circumstance in my life. And I reached a place where I was being required to practice what I preached, so to speak. And that is to release outcomes to God. So there's a situation. I'm not able to solve it. And so I have to release the outcome to God. And it was, I was extremely emotional. And actually, you know, it was, I needed Elohim and I needed Yahweh. I needed in this situation to know that there was a God who was stronger than the situation. I needed to know that there was a God who was able to do all things. But I also needed to know that there was a God who was Yahweh, who would be there to care and he would be there for me, and he would be there for the circumstance and the situation. So I went downstairs into my um, man cave, and which I don't get to go to very often because it's Jordan's now. <laughs> and so I went downstairs to my man cave, and I got on my elliptical, and I'm pounding out my elliptical, and I'm thinking about this concept of Elohim and Yahweh. And so while I was there, and I, I don't know... you. Just know that the people upstairs, I, I know they could hear me. They could hear a lot of ruckus downstairs. They had no idea what was going on. So if you want to practice this, you might want to get away from people in some way. So I'm, I'm pounding on my elliptical, and I'm going, God, I need Elohim. I need Elohim. I need the powerful God. And I'd pound away and say, God, I need Yahweh. I need to know you love me. I need to know that you care more than I do. And if God, if I'm going to release these outcome to you, God, God, I need to know that you care. 
And I just did this 30-minute workout. God Elohim, God Yahweh, God Elohim, God Yahweh. And this became so meaningful to me. So meaningful. And what I want to, I'm just hoping today that you can just get a taste of this for yourself is that this is the God who invites you into relationship with him, the God who can do all things and the God who cares at the same time. All things, and he cares about you and your circumstance and your situation. And right relationship with him means I will release the outcome to him. And I'll trust him. And it set me free. It really did. Set me free from the circumstance, set me free from the situation, I am not worried it's in God's hands because he's Elohim and he's Yahweh and he's taking care of the circumstance. Okay, that's the first thing, relationship with God. I'll go much faster after this in case you're looking at your watch going, whoa, we're never getting out of here. (laughs) Okay, the second one is this. We flourish when we reflect a right relationship with self, with self. So in the image of God, he created them, it says in verse 127b. Now, let's just remind ourselves, okay, that the Bible's teaching is that at the moment of conception, a being is created in God's image, at the moment of conception. And God designed us at that moment of conception just like we are. And part of being able to flourish is to realize, I want you to listen to this, realize that we are shalom in God's eyes. Shalom in God's eyes. Nothing broken, nothing missing, everything as it ought to be. There is no shame in being who God made you to be. No shame. See, God made every living being to fulfill a purpose and reflect him and represent him to the world so that when others see us, they say something like this, there has to be a God to have created someone like you. There has to be a God to create someone like you. As human beings, we're created, created in his image. Therefore, every child, every woman, every man has inherent worth and dignity. I love these verses from Psalm 139. I thought we'd read these together today. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God makes us shalom. He makes us shalom. Have you ever wondered? Just wonder a moment. Have you ever wondered why golf balls have dimples? Why do they have those little pock marks, right? Have you ever wondered about that? There's a picture of a golf ball right there. You can see that. Uh, and wondering about golf balls. Well, I looked it up this week. The pock marks or dimples make the ball, they make it look imperfect, right? I mean, if I was making a ball, I would want it to be perfect in every way. It would be a perfect sphere, and there'd be no, uh, nothing about it that looked flawed in any way. But they make golf balls to be flawed on purpose with dimples or pock marks. And here's what some aeronautical engineer who designs golf balls says, that if you made a golf ball and it was smooth, that when you hit it off the tee, it would go about 130 yards. 
my golf balls never went that far, <laughs> even with little, little pock marks, okay? And so 130 yards. But when you take a golf ball and you put all the indentations, anywhere from three to 500 on a golf ball, and so if you put those there, what happens is it will go twice as far. It will go twice as far because of the way aerodynamics work. And so the flaws, here, get this, the flaws minimize the ball's air resistance and make them travel much further. Now, most of us, I think most of us could quickly right now identify the dimples or pockmarks that we have. We look at our lives that we have that we were born with. And if you're like me, it can be really difficult to imagine how these pockmarks or dimples could be part of God's master design. And I just want to say this, folks. The dimples you dislike, the pockmarks you have, may be just what God gave you to give him the greatest glory that you could soar with him. So instead of living for the approval of others based upon how you look or what you want to become, look to the creator who wants to give you your value and worth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Number three, we flourish and we reflect a right relationship with others. With others. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So when God created man and woman, when he created human beings, he created us as social beings who need community, need connection with others. He designed us to live in harmony, to be interrelated to each other. He designed us for community. He created us to live in loving relationships with one another. We are not islands. And up until Genesis 2.18, every time that you read about God creating, it says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then all of a sudden, Genesis 2.18, you find something that says it's not good. Now, does this mean God made a mistake? No. This doesn't mean God made a mistake. God designed it this way. So when he looks at Adam, and Adam's alone, he says that's not good. He's the God who made light and darkness. All that's good. But he says when he looks at where Adam is, he says, that's not good. Now, why does he look at, why did God do it this way? Why did it happen this way? Well, I read this, read this quote this week that I thought spells it out so clearly, so much better than I think I could have ever done. And it's by Tim Keller. And he gives us the reason why Adam was lonely, even though he was at the happiest place on earth. And it wasn't Disneyland, okay? <laughs> happiest place on earth. And he says this, the answer is that we were all made in the image of someone who was not just a me, but an us, Trinity. Therefore, we won't be happy until we're not just a me, but we're also an us, when we're also connected with other people. God made us in the image of community, and therefore, we won't be complete unless we are in community. 
John, when he was up here a moment ago, mentioned that our community groups are all having a relaunch here in a week or so. And I just want to encourage you that we're made to be not islands, not isolated, but if we're going to be the best we can be, we need to make and pay the price to be in community. We need to carve out the slot so that we can be in the kind of community that's going to inspire us toward God. We all need a place where we can know and be known by others. We all need a place where we can love and be loved by others, where we can serve and then we can be served by others, where we can celebrate and we can be celebrated by others. He made us for community. And God made us different so that when we come together, we would become whole. And in you know, this whole creation, we see when two opposites come together, they become whole. And God gave them responsibilities that could only be accomplished by those Two opposites who come together to become whole. He made us for community. Okay, last idea is this. We flourish when we reflect a right relationship with creation. Now, I know that some of you play games with me every week and you try to guess all the fill-ins. Today was probably a pretty easy day, right? To guess all the fill-ins in advance. Um, Now, some of you are going to start doing this every week, okay? Uh, But with creation. God expects us to care for his creation, Our purpose is to steward the creation he made. That means we are to grow in a relationship with him. We are to grow in a relationship with self. We are to grow in a relationship with others. And we are to grow in our relationship with creation itself. This is going to sound really weird, okay? But since since I've been working on this series, my view of creation has changed. Oh, you know, okay, just... I'm driving down the road, and there's a squirrel in the middle of the road. And I'm going, the old me, what would the old me have done? I'm not telling you. <laughs> so yesterday, I'm stopped dead still in the middle of dog bar so a squirrel could move across the road. And, um, you know, you don't need to applaud me. <laughs> the other side was not applaudable. And, uh, and, you know, I was, came around the corner the other day, and I'd seen these two jackrabbits that were hopping across the road. And I came around the corner the next day, and one of them was in the middle of the road dead. And I literally cried and was just so moved. And I'm just becoming more and more moved by creation and our responsibility to care for. I'm not going to, you know, become a fanatic in this way, but I'm just more and more moved by our responsibility to care for what God made. Look at what it says in Genesis 1:28. Then God blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground." Our cultural mandate is to be people who understand, protect, subdue, and manage the world that God gave us for our lives and for the generations that follow us. It's our cultural mandate that we would preserve it and that we would be able to have a sustainable harvest that would sustain us so that our children and their grandchildren, their children and our grand would be able to have sustainable harvest as well. While God made the world perfect, you got to hear, he also made it incomplete. And it becomes complete as we engage. He didn't give us the ability to make something from nothing. He gave us the ability to make something from something. And it's incomplete, and he continually wants us to be working in his creation to make his creation be the place that he wants it to be, that we would honor it. Psalm Psalm 24 that John read earlier, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people belong to him. 
We are called to be stewards of the resources and relationships God has given. And then Genesis 1.31, God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Good means to be in right relationship with God. It's my primary relationship. It's where I will focus most of my energy on. Good means to be in right relationship with self. Acknowledging that each human being has inherent dignity. Everyone I meet. It will change the way you look at people. Good means that I'll be in right relationship with others. We're made to know one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. And good means that I will be in right relationship with creation. We're called to be stewards of creation and sustain ourselves through work. And when we weave all of these together, all of these threads together, it will make a beautiful fabric and we will be in a place that flourishes. And that's God's design. That's God's design. Bow your heads and let's pray together. God, I just thank you today for what you've done, what you've done in my heart, and I just pray that in my 25 hours of work, gotten it down to this 30-minute talk, and this 30 minutes that you've used Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you've used this to inspire every one of us in our right relationship with you, that you are God Almighty and you are God who cares. Relationship with self, you made me shalom. Relationship with others, you made me to be connected in community. The kind of community that would be biblically based. Pushing me, pulling me toward you. You made me to be in right relationship with creation. So God, Holy Spirit, I pray, Jesus, that you would work in each of us. And that you would show us now. Show us now part of this that you would say, this is the area that I want to work in you. This is the area I'm speaking to you about. And that each of us would own that. And I just want to pray now for anyone who's never said yes to Jesus. We sang these beautiful songs today about what Jesus did on the cross. He did that for you. Next week, we're going to talk about how it all went haywire. But even before that, you know it's haywire. You know your life is. And I just want to say Jesus came to set it right. And you can just say to Jesus, Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I've not lived in alignment with these four relationships. And so, Jesus, I want to come to you today and ask you to make me whole, to cleanse me, and that I would walk with you toward new life. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.